It's great to see you all this morning. Uh, if we haven't met yet, my name is Daniel. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, if you're a first-time guest, we just want to say thank you so much for coming here, being a part of our church, and um, just um, experiencing God with us together. Uh, we love to be in community. And uh, so to catch you up, though, we are in the second week of a sermon series called The Upside-Down Kingdom. And what we're doing is we're actually going through some of the parables of Jesus. Because see, Jesus, when he came here, he came not only to reveal, uh, or not only to pay the penalty for our sins, to resurrect so that we could have new life, he also came to reveal the Father. And in revealing the Father, he also revealed the heart of the Father and also God's intent to bring heaven down here on earth. As he prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so there's this kingdom of heaven that we wanted to just to focus in on. And we are doing a, a movement called a chapter a day. And basically what that is, is it's a chapter a day. We're reading a chapter a day and we are in Luke 10 right now. And so while we're going through all of these parables, we're going to be bouncing back and forth between some of the different gospels. Uh, we'll find ourselves mainly in Matthew today, but we'll bounce back and forth between Matthew and Luke as we're looking uh, to Jesus to reveal the kingdom of heaven to us and what the kingdom of heaven is all about. And so last week, I want to give you a little bit of a recap. Phil introduced, or Pastor Phil introduced uh, this sermon series. And what he was communicating to us through the Holy Spirit was that the kingdom of God has great value. And it's not just that the kingdom of God has great value intrinsically. He wanted us to let, let us know why the kingdom of God had great value and what the kingdom of God out. And so the kingdom of God is not actually a people, a place, or a realm. And so that might be confusing at first because you think, okay, well, then what is the kingdom of God? If it's not a people, a place, and a realm, and what we learned is that it is actually the rule, God's rule and reign over all things. It was God's rule and reign coming from heaven to earth, and it actually, uh, the kingdom of God activates in us, it activates in people, and it activates in communities, and it changes. The kingdom of darkness, and we'll just call this the kingdom of self. And this is a very self-interested kingdom. It's the one that's building up our own kingdom. And it's the one that's directly opposed to the kingdom of God. And ever since... Adam and Eve sinned, there has been this, this split, this divide. And people were searching. They were searching for the kingdom of God because they knew there was something more. They knew we were called to something more. And Jesus came to reveal that. But the, the problem was for many of Jesus' audiences that what he revealed about the kingdom of God didn't really mesh with their kingdom. It didn't really uh, coincide with the things that they wanted, the things that they desired. And so Jesus often taught in parables. And the reason he taught in parables was because he wanted to speak a life truth to us. He wanted to reveal the kingdom of God in a way that we could understand in everyday life. But one of the challenges that Jesus' audience had, and I think we have too, and he constantly would ask us to do this. He said, those who have ears, listen or hear because there's a difference between just hearing words and listening to words. It's funny, I was just talking to my wife this morning because I had a great analogy of me <clears throat> hearing but not listening, and I couldn't remember what it was about, and so I had to ask her. So it kind of built into the analogy that I wasn't listening very well. And so, but she had done some grocery shopping and she picked up an item that we needed, 
And like, I guess probably like, I don't know, maybe an hour or two later, I asked her if she had picked up this item. And she was like, I told you that I picked this up. Weren't you, weren't you listening? And I was kind of like, are you sure? Because I feel like I would have remembered that. And, and I found myself in that situation where I can hear, but not actually listen. And I think when we are looking at the truths of Jesus and looking at parables, I think we can hear, but not always listen. It can come in, but it doesn't always penetrate our minds. It doesn't always penetrate our hearts. And since the kingdom of God is so contrary to everything we're used to, that's why we call it the upside-down kingdom, that's something that the Holy Spirit has to reveal to us. The Holy Spirit has to reveal what the kingdom of God is like and has to give us the ability to listen. And so I want to pray for us, and I want to pray that the Holy Spirit will give us the ability to listen, not to the things that I'm saying because my words are meaningless, but I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will reveal amazing truths about the kingdom of God, not only just the kingdom of God, how it operates and how we can interact with the kingdom of God. So let's pray. Lord, I just, um, I pray that I just get out of the way. Lord, that your kingdom comes right now because your Holy Spirit wills it. And God, I just pray that you would give us ears to hear your truth today, Lord. That when we read uh, your scriptures, when we read the stories that you taught Jesus, that it would penetrate our hearts. And Lord, that you would begin that work, that transforming power in us. So God, we need you. We need you in so many ways. We need you for the very next breath. Help us, God, to walk in this kingdom, to walk in the kingdom of God, to experience all that you have for us. And it's in your name, amen. You know, there's something... There's an amazing gift that God has given us, and it's innately just in humanity. So whether you're religious or not, whatever political party you have, whatever your affiliation, whatever makes us different, there's something innately in all of us, and that is a desire for justice, right? I mean, when your kids grow up, you don't have to teach them the phrase, that's not fair, right? I mean, there's something kind of innately in us that says, hey, this is unjust. Hey, this is something that I recognize that maybe I deserve, and that's not fair, because I'm not getting it. And I think when it comes to God, we have a lot of those conversations. We have a lot of those conversations because uh, when we think about how we would do things, when we think about our life and our life experiences, a lot of times we can look to God and say, God, that's not fair. You know, I see what they're getting. What about me? I see the blessings that you're giving to those people. What about my blessings? God, I've been a really good person. Why is this happening to me? God, that's not fair. And I think if you have asked that question either verbally or in your heart, and I would say most of us have, including myself, Jesus is coming to reveal this to us. Jesus is coming to reveal how the kingdom of God operates. Paul says in 
Romans 12, too, it says, do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so there's these, there's these pulls that are happening that the world is saying that it's supposed to be this way and the kingdom of God is saying it's supposed to be this way. And so what I would love for us to do is to just look and to see what Jesus is revealing through his parables about how the kingdom of God operates. Because I think, actually I should say I believe, that if we get this, that it will change us forever. Not only change us forever, it will, if you feel like you are at a place spiritually where you're not growing, or you're at a place spiritually where you're just frustrated with God, I believe that if we grasp this, it will change our view of our situation, our circumstances, our family life, even our future. And so, Jesus, he's teaching, and, he's, and in, uh, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 20. So if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 20, and we're just going to start in verse 1. And Jesus is revealing what the kingdom of heaven is like. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, what's taking place here? Uh, this is very common to have uh, contractors, uh, foremen, masters of vineyards, or whatever it may be, to go to the common squares, the marketplaces, and just hire labor for the day. And so this guy's going to the marketplace, and he's hiring workers for the day. And so after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, and a denarius is just basically one day's wages. So this is a very fair, this is a very... Uh, predictable, understandable wage that you would get for a day. So he agrees with the laborers for a denarius a day and he sends them to the vineyard. And then going about the third hour, so the third hour they would count their hours up from six in the morning, so this is at nine o'clock. So at nine o'clock, he saw others standing idly in the marketplace. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too and whatever is right, I will give you. Now I want us to pause there for a second. I want you to notice there's a difference. Because see, the master at first, him and the laborers that he first hires, they agree. There's a contract. They agree to a, a day's wage. 12 hours of work for one denarius. Now the next people that come in, these next one that he hires in the ninth hour, there's no contract. These laborers have to trust the master. They have to trust the master in his goodness and his character and that he's going to take care of them regardless of what it is. And so they went. And then going again about the sixth hour, so 6 a.m. plus 6 is noon, so it's 12 o'clock, and the ninth hour, that would be 3 p.m., he did the same. And then the 11th hour, all right, so this is 5 p.m. This is one hour before the day is done. So the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? And they said to him, the master, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last and up to the first. So what the, the foreman is doing here is he's calling up all the people that have worked and he's getting the ones that were hired at five. He's paying them first. Right? So, wait, pay them first. Yeah. Uh, so when those that were hired at the 11th hour, so 5 p.m., each of them received a denarius. 
So for one hour's work, they received a denarius. And you can immediately see what's happening here because I would react the exact same way. He says, now those that were hired when they first came, they thought they would receive more, right? So they're sitting there thinking, all right, one hour, one denarius. Okay, I've been working 12 hours here. So, man, like this is going to be great. This is going to be a huge payday, right? But each of them also received the denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, right? This is understandable. That's not fair. You can't hire somebody for an hour and give them a, and give them a, year, a day's wage and then have people that have been working for 12 hours and give them the same, right? I mean, that makes sense. It's not fair. And so they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these, uh, these last worked only an hour and, we, and you have made them equal to us who have bore the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But the master, he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Do you not agree with me? Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give the last workers as I give you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me or do you begrudge my generosity? Can we be honest and say yes? Yes, I begrudge your generosity. That's not fair. And then Jesus ends this. So the last will be first and the first will be last. All right, so what is happening here? Jesus is, is, is telling us that the kingdom of God is like this. And honestly, it doesn't really make a lot of sense, right? We don't understand why this master is the way he is. I think that we understand things like justice, that you, you reap what you sow and that you earn what you work for right? Because that's predictable. It's calculable. It's simple. It makes sense. It's comfortable. But the master here is, is being generous with what he has, and it doesn't always compute with us. And what's interesting is what Jesus says here, and the last will be first, and the first will be last at the very end of this. Now, if you'll flip back a chapter to Matthew 19, you'll see that at the very end of his interaction with the rich young ruler. And so Jesus, we need to understand the context here that Jesus is actually telling this parable as a result of the interaction that Jesus had with the rich young ruler. And we know the story, uh, but I'll summarize it for you. There's a rich young ruler. It's basically he's, he's young, he's wealthy, he's got it all together. And he goes up to Jesus and he says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And that's a, I mean, we got, can't fault him for the question, right? He's got all these things going for him, but he still recognizes that, you know, I'm not quite where I need to be. I know that if I leave this earth, I'm leaving all these things behind. So what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus and the rich young ruler kind of go along this dialogue. And Jesus says, all right, we need to obey all the commandments. And he's like, I've done that. I've done all those things. He's like, all right, well, then you need to sell all your possessions and give it to the poor. And you'll have treasures in heaven and come follow me. And the rich young ruler is not able to do that. And it kind of starts a firestorm because then Peter stands up and he's like, well, come on, Jesus, we've left everything for you. What are you doing here? Like, what's our reward? And Jesus begins to reveal that he's like, you know, anyone that's given up anything in the kingdom for this life will receive treasures in heaven and so much more. And then he closes it, well, the last will be first and the first will be last. And so with the context of that, we have to look at the heart 
of the question of the rich young ruler. Because what parables do is they get to the heart of the matter. It's a story, but it reveals a heart truth. And what is the rich young ruler asking? He's asking, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? God, what do I need to do to contractually obligate you to give me eternal life? What do I need to do to earn your favor, to earn your blessing? What do I have to do to get to the side where, God, you owe me? And so then you see the parable of the vineyard workers. And so I, th I think that what Jesus is trying to reveal here is not necessarily that, and I actually, I completely disagree that he's not trying to make some kind of communist uniform wages that no matter how hard you work or whatever it is, everybody gets a denarius. It's like Oprah, you get a denarius, and you get a denarius, and you get a denarius. And that's, that's not what Jesus is trying to reveal here. And I think he's also not revealing that regardless of how much you work in this life, you're always gonna get the same reward in heaven because there's so many scriptures that are contrary to that. Check out 1 Corinthians chapter three, it's pretty sobering. And so what Jesus I think is revealing here is not necessarily that it's about the denarius. He's showing that it's about the workers. It's about the workers and how they're relating to the master. Because see, the, the workers that were hired first, they had a contract relationship with the master. And the workers that were hired after that, they had a trusting relationship with the master. And were jealous of what they have. And to be honest, if you really think about it, we don't want a contract relationship with God. Every other religion is based on contract relationships. You do this, you'll get to heaven. You do this, you'll be assimilated into the one. You do this, and you'll go to the paradise. You do this, the pillars, you know, the karma. All of these things are do these things, and, you, and you know, whatever being you worship owes you. But really when it boils down to it, we don't want that. Because it says in Romans 6, 23 that the wages of sin is death. And so if we want to get what we are owed, if we want justice, then that's what we get. And so the kingdom of God is so contrary to the kingdom of this world. That if we interact with God like these other workers do, then we enter into a trusting relationship and God is able to reveal how the kingdom operates to us. So the first thing that I want us to look at about how the kingdom of God operates and we see it in the character of the master is that the kingdom of God operates on the, sorry, the kingdom of God operates through the gracious and generous character of God. The kingdom of God operates through the gracious and generous character of God. You see, when we read scriptures like Ephesians 2, 4, uh, 8 through 9, 
we see that God has saved us through grace, that we can't take credit for this, that this is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done so that no, no one can boast. James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift comes from God. Luke 12.32, and I love this, it says, fear not. Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. This is the character and the nature of God. Romans 8, 39. No height, no depth, no anything else in all creation can ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8, 31 through 32. What shall we say to such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? Since he did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? You see, the, these latter vineyards, they trusted the nature of God. They trusted in his character. I don't know your situation. Because for many of us, this is a hard thing to do. Because we look at our present circumstances and we don't know how we can trust God. And this scripture gives me so much comfort. And I know I'm bouncing around Romans 8, but it's Romans 8, 35. And it says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us when trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? I think we all need to ask ourselves this question about the master, about our heavenly father. Does it mean that he no longer loves us? Does it mean that he no longer loves us when we lose a loved one? When we lose a job? When we go through a messy divorce? When we have morally failed? When we keep falling short to the standards that we feel like we're supposed to meet, does it mean that he no longer loves us? Absolutely not. And this contractual relationship that we can have with God will trap us into feeling that we need to somehow earn God's favor when his favor has been put on us a long, long time ago. Before the foundations of the world, he saw you and he loved you. And he, and he made you holy and blameless in his sight. Holy and blameless. I know what I did this morning, and I know what I've done yesterday, and it wasn't always holy and blameless, that's for sure. But he has made us holy and blameless in his sight. God demonstrated his love for us, and while we were his enemies, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The kingdom of God operates on grace and generosity and the character of God. And I think this is still really hard for us though because we see the interaction with the vineyard workers. We see the ones that have worked 12 hours and the ones that have only worked one hour and we still don't feel like this is fair. And we have really hard questions when it comes to the justice and the fairness of God. We have questions like why do, all, why do bad things happen to good people? God, why am I suffering like this? What did I do to deserve this? God, why are you taking this from me? And I think that we need to realize that the kingdom of God, and this can be frustrating at times, but it's so liberating 
is that the kingdom of God does not operate under the constraints of our own justice. That the kingdom of God operates on justice, just not our justice. There's a, um, there's a story that Jesus tells uh, in Luke 13. It's a pretty insensitive kind of uh, story. So what happened is a tragedy in, uh, in Judea. A tower falls and kills 18 people. Right? It's a terrible thing. And so they're asking Jesus, why did this happen? You know, was, was it just because there was 18 of the worst people in Jerusalem? And so God said, here's my chance. Boom. Knock down the tower. And Jesus was like, well, that's very creative. But no, that's not how it works. He said that unless you repent, you will all likely perish. Which has to be the most politically incorrect statement that has to do with a tragedy that just happened. And so what Jesus is saying here is that, that we, have all, we have all put ourselves under a condemnation of death by the things that we've done and by the things that we've inherited. No one has ever never deserved death except for one man. And so what he's saying here is that instead of focusing on what the, the tragedy that's happened, and it is a tragedy, he says, be thankful for your next breath. Be thankful that the tower doesn't fall on you. Because God's justice is different from ours. You see, how God enacted perfect justice was not by making all the wrongs necessarily right in the world in that time. What he did is he took every single wrong that was of this world and put it on Jesus. And Jesus died for every single wrong. It says in Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, it says, Yet it was our weakness that he carried. It was our sorrow that weighed him down. We thought, this is we thought that Jesus, his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. You know, there's, there's in business, there's, uh, there's the carrot or the stick analogy. There is, you know, how do you incentivize workers to do the right things? Do you incentivize them with goodness or like rewards? Or do you incentivize them with punishment, right? The carrot is the reward, the stick is the punishment. You know, what's interesting about the kingdom of God is it was bo it's both. That Jesus took the stick of our punishment. And in turn, God gave us the grace and all of the goodness that comes through Jesus in the carrot. So every injustice that was committed was laid on Jesus. So God's very, very intent on justice. But one thing we need to understand is that justice for all the things that we've done and justice for everyone that's done everything to us has been paid with Jesus on the cross. And can I make a quick tangent when it comes to our view of justice? Because to be perfectly honest, I am really self-centered when it comes to my justice. Does that make sense? Like I would much rather judge myself by my intentions and judge other people by their actions. You know, like I'm gonna be like, hey, I messed up, but you know what? I'm actually really a good guy. I was just not thinking about the consequences and so I, I, I really would probably be better in that situation, but somebody does something to me, whoa, whoa. 
No, that, you need justice. You hurt me. You betrayed me. You need justice. But I don't know. I think I should get mercy. And I want us to know this about justice. Because even though God has blessed us with the, the capacity to desire justice, the justice that we are looking for is that self-serving justice. And I think the justice that we try to enact, and this is where the kingdom of God is so upside down from us, is that a lot of times in justice, we use power to pull down the oppressors, right? Anybody that's doing anything wrong to us, justice needs to be served to them. We need to pull down the oppressors. You know how the kingdom of God works? The kingdom of God takes power and leverages it to build up the oppressed. The way we enact perfect justice is to pull down the oppressors and the ones that are causing the injustice. Jesus and the kingdom of God, they take takes on justice so that we can be set free. That is the justice that we want. Because the justice that comes with pulling down the oppressors doesn't really satisfy and honestly doesn't solve the problem. But the justice that's sacrificial and that Jesus poured into us and then that he pours in and we get the opportunity to pour into others. Jesus leveraged his power to set us free. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, I love the scripture. It says, God made Christ who never sinned to be an offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. There was a substitution that took place. Everything that we did was put on Jesus and everything that Jesus did that was really good was put on us. And that's how justice is served in the kingdom of God. And it doesn't make sense. And so the kingdom of God not only operates on grace and operates on generosity, but it operates on a sense of justice that is about setting people free. And so I want to ask you a question this morning. What kingdom are you operating in? What sandbox are you playing in now when it comes to the perspective of your situation? Which, which worker are you? Are you the one that wants the contract or is pushing for the contract or feels like you are owed, that you deserve something from God? Or are you trusting in the character of God? Are you trusting in his nature? Because if he did Jesus, if he sent Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins, do you think he would withhold anything from us? Do you think then maybe whatever we're going through can be something that the kingdom of God can come alive in. And so what's your relationship to the master? And I wanna ask you five diagnostic questions. And there's a, uh, there's a pastor in North Carolina, his name is J.D. Greer, and he talks about these five diagnostic questions to see whether or not you're in a contract relationship with God. And the first one is, am I bitter? Am I bitter because God has withheld a blessing from me that I feel like I deserve? God, I'm owed this. God, I've, I've been a follower of Jesus for 30 years. 
25 years. I am due this. I'm owed this. And what's interesting is when we start praying in our record, when we start saying, God, you owe me this because of all that I've done, we're not praying in Jesus' name anymore. We're praying in our name. Whether it's a job or recognition or financial security, whatever it is, God, you owe me this for what I've done for you. See, that's contract relationship. And it may be something like that, but honestly, this hits home on some really tough issues. I think about my, uh, my brother and uh, sister-in-law who struggled for years to have children. And that's a hard struggle. And I know that there's people that can relate to that struggle here today, and I'm not minimizing any of your pain at all. But what can, what can turn into a really terrible thing is that when we start accusing God or getting angry at God because he's withholding some sort of blessing from us, and we begin to elevate something that says, this will finally satisfy, this thing will finally make me happy. God, I'm doing all these things so you can give this to me because I'm owed this. have and we look at God and we say why are they getting blessed and I'm not getting this Facebook is the ultimate like breeding ground for jealousy right where we'll just see all the best pictures that everybody has and look at our terrible situation you know just like um, the house is a mess the kids are screaming all over the place and somebody posts this amazing picture about like their family hashtag no filter whatever it is and you're just like come on and we get jealous because we're comparing others. We, we want the blessings that they have. You know, they don't deserve that. I know what they've done. They don't deserve that good relationship. You see, God, we're in contract together. You owe me. And I think we can, we can get really lost when it comes to what's truly valuable. I'm going to do my best to not offend right now, but I don't know. I think God's kind of an equal opportunity offender. Um, <laughs> parents, I love sports. I really do. But when you start tearing down other people and other people's kids because your kid's not getting the recognition that you think that they deserve, you're living in the wrong kingdom. Because don't you think it's more important that they know the love of Jesus more than your kid gets recognition? And that's a really hard pill to swallow because we love our kids and we want to see our kids succeed and we want the best for our kids. I'm not minimizing that at all. But what are we communicating that's valuable? You know, there's a, um, there's a story of this lady. Uh, she's got young kids. And so she gets one morning a day, and that's her day off. Like, yes, like I've got, I've got some time to hang out, no kids, so I'm going to go. I'm going to go do my thing. I'm going to go to my favorite coffee shop. I'm going to grab some uh, cookies. I'm going to go sit down in, like, the food court of a mall. I don't know why you would do that, but, hey, that's, 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 her, that's her zen place, whatever it is. And so she's sitting there, and it's a packed mall, and so she sits down, across from this older man and, and she has her coffee and she puts down her bag of chips and she opens her magazine and all of a sudden this dude, this old guy, pulls in her cookie and eats her cookie. And she just looks at him like, what do you think you're doing, sir? 
And so she goes and she grabs another one of her cookies and she eats it. And he just smiles at her and nods and two minutes later he does it again. Pulls another cookie out. She's like, who does this old man think he is? So she eats it and he goes back and forth until there's one cookie left. And think about this, the audacity that this old man has. He breaks the cookie apart in half. And he gives her half of her own cookie. Oh, man. So she gets up. She storms out. She's so mad. I can't believe somebody would do this and ruin my day. And then 10 minutes later, she looks in her purse, and she's got an unopened bag of cookies. And the anger that she had toward this man turns to immense gratitude because he was willing to share everything that he had with her. Guys, when we begin to realize that all of our cookies have been purchased by Jesus' blood and by his goodness, then we will so much more be apt to be generous and to share with others because of his great grace to us. Third, and these three and four are kind of connected. Am I angry at God when he doesn't answer my prayers when I think that he should? And if the band wants to go ahead and come up, I'm going to close soon. And a lot of this has to do with the fact that not only do we feel like God owes us, but it's some sort of, it has to do with punishment, right? So a lot of times we feel like we're angry with God because he's punishing us unjustly. Like, I'm due this, I'm owed this, and so I'm praying for this, and it doesn't happen, and so I'm angry at God, and so, God, why are you doing this? It's not fair. You know, what are, are you punishing me for this? And the fourth question, like I said, they're related to each other, is am I insecure or feel uncertain about where I stand with God? See, each of these are both contractual because, one, God owes you because of the good things you've done. The other is that I'm so afraid that God is going to withhold any blessing on me because I've messed up. Both are based on trying to do things right for God. What can I do to inherit eternal life? And the last thing, am I indifferent to the pain and the suffering of others? Think about the 11th hour workers, the ones that were hired last. Why were they, why were they not hired? It says in Matthew uh, 27, it say, and he said to them, or they said to him, because no one has hired us, and so he said to them, go into the vineyard. See, a lot of times I'll look at those last workers and I'll think they're really lazy. They probably binged Netflix and played Fortnite last night and now they're <laughs> rolling out of their bed at four o'clock in the afternoon or whatever it is and they're just like, hey, there's no jobs, come on. But it says that they weren't hired. They've been there, but no one hired them. And I think when we begin to understand that God is gracious and he's generous, but all the things that he's given us have been given to leverage for the benefit of other people, we'll begin to look at people's pain and suffering differently. You see, we have this mindset when it comes to America that we work and we, and we get what we deserve. And those that don't have it, well, maybe they're just not working hard enough. And... I don't know about you, but I don't think there was anything I did as a baby to be born to two loving parents. I wasn't, I wasn't, there's nothing that I did as an infant to know that my parents followed Jesus and they taught me the same and they taught me hard work. There's nothing that I necessarily did. 
to earn the education that I got. See, I was hired early. All of us, when it comes to the whole entire earth, we're all hired early. We have so many more blessings than so many other people. And so instead of building up our own kingdom when it comes to things that God has given us, God, through Jesus, as the example, is saying we need to leverage everything that we have to build up those who are yet to be hired. And I think there is many obligations that we can talk about, but one is spiritual. I love, I love this. I'm, I'm so thankful for this, the spiritual support that I have. I'm so thankful for the community that we have here. But there's so many people that have yet to be hired, that are waiting, that are starving, that will just be like, I want to experience the kingdom of God. I want to know the master and I want to know the goodness, but they're stuck. And so do we just, are we just concerned with what we've been given and not think about what we can do to leverage it for others. So what type of worker are you? What's your relationship with the, king, with the king? What's your relationship with the master? Where are you operating? Are you operating in this contract that you have with God? Are you trying to make it work out? How's that going? Or are you willing to trust the master? Because he's good and he loves you and his character is good. And if he did everything to pursue you, even sending his son, Jesus, to do everything and do everything on our behalf. So all we need to do is receive, believe and receive in the name of Jesus and we'll be saved. Not only saved, we'll ex experience every blessing through the Holy Spirit. We'll experience eternity with God in the greatest possible place. Is there anything in this life that could take away the future joy that's in store for us? So where are we operating? How are we viewing God? And not only that, how are we responding to that? Because I believe that when we begin to view God and trust him for his character, the things that we face no matter how difficult they can be, that you will be a conqueror, just like it says in Romans 8, 37, that we are more than conquerors because of Christ Jesus. And it's not that we need to be conquerors so we can lord over people. It's conquerors so that we can then point people to Jesus and say, come back to God because he's good and he's everything you need. He's everything you've been looking for all along. And that's what the kingdom of God does. It operates in and through its people by showing others the goodness of God. So where are we? What kingdom are we building up? Where are we operating? Lord, I just, um, <sighs> I am so convicted right now because I know I try to build my own little sand castle. And Father, I, I just want to, I want to abandon that and I want to plunge into the deep and I just want to just say yes, Jesus, to whatever you have. I want you, Jesus, to get, to get access to everything in my life, everything that's been a blessing to me because God, I want to leverage that for other people because I want to experience what you'd experience, Jesus. 
when you, the joy that was set before you, when you gave up everything for us. And so God, help us to trust that you're good, to know, God, that you would never withhold anything from us, that you love us so much and you have so much in store for us in this life and the next. And so, Lord, may we respond in a way that says, yes, Lord, I just trust you and your character, regardless of the situation, God. May we tear up any contract that we've ever had when it's come to you, God. Thank you, Jesus, that you've made this all possible. And because you've made this possible and because of your perfect record, we can boldly say, in the name of Jesus, make it so. Make it so in my life. Make it so in everyone's life here and bring your kingdom here in this community and impact people because that's what it's all about. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.